0: This What's Trending conversation is brought to you by Henley Business Radio. Welcome to Henley Business Radio. My name is John foster Fedley, and I should mention before we start, if you want to follow us on Twitter, our hashtag is hashtag what's trending and hashtag HBR. And I've got the great pleasure of interviewing the well-known South African comedian John Flismus today, who I've known for a number of years. John, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. There are a lot of things people don't know about you, really. <laughs> Probably for the best. <laughs> <laughs> Probably, yeah.
1: I mean, one of them is actually you're a demon molecular vegan chef.
0: How about that?
1: Well, yeah, I do like cooking, and I, I like to do things that people haven't had before. So that, that's, mm. I do get a lot of pleasure out of that, especially having mates around to, uh, to try it out. Yeah,
0: I was very lucky to, to have a couple myself with all sorts of lovely green bean foams and i don't know what else i can't even remember they were so great
1: i think you're fearless
0: <laughs> <laughs> and also you're a diver in fact not only just a plain old diver you're a trimix diver who swims in the open seas with tiger sharks um, tell us about that
1: yes so um, i w- became an instructor but i haven't i haven't hmm. actually haven't, t- I haven't taught for a while so i'd have to go and refresh that exam but i do like it and diving with sharks is pretty it's pretty calming you, you Calming to have a tiger shop. Yeah, because they can sense your heartbeat. So you're kind of under obligation to not behave like dinner.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'll try and remember that next time it comes up. And you're an artist.
1: I do like to paint. It's, very, again, quite calming. i quite a Zen person, actually, now that I think about it. Now you that you are, I can
0: see it's Zen, there. And well-known not only for being a comedian, but actually for a, a really insightful social commentator, uh, using your comedy to make some pretty serious and powerful points.
1: Yes, get, get varied reactions from an audience. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what was your last show? Uh, the last show was called The Good Racist. Yeah, uh, that was must a be... history of racism. History of racism, yeah. That must have gone down well in most circles. Is uh, that yes, right? in
1: some circles. Uh, I believe some people would like me to visit a circle of hell after that. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, but it, it, I must say, the overwhelming reaction was you made me laugh and think,
0: which made me really happy. Yeah, I went to that show and it was actually outstanding, I have to say. Thank you. So that's
1: part of who you are. So, right. I
0: mean, who's the real John Fismas in all of this? <laughs>
1: I think uh, I'm a curious human being. I think that's the best way to describe me. Uh, I'm a bit restless when it comes to finding things out, knowing as much as possible. So I would as I would suggest that that's at heart who I am is really just a curious person. I think the mm. comedy is just one way of expressing that curiosity. Just just going there, how does comedy express curiosity? I mean, how does that work? I think that great comedy is about listening and not talking. Um, mm. I think bad comedy is all about talking with no listening. So... so As an observer, and I did really grow up as an outsider. I was very much on the fringe. I was never the jock or the popular kid or the i wasn't mm. the my friends were all the kind of like you know slightly broken people and mm. you know the guy with the weird arm or the the guy that grew up to become actually very successful homosexual um, and <laughs> you know in a government boys school we weren't really the the artists and the kind of all the sort of jocks grew up to become the sort of self-loathing insurance salesmen who you know, stay at the club because they don't really want to go home i mean <laughs> my, my friends did things so so i think it's about being an observer from the, uh, the perspective of being an observer. But when you're doing comedy, you're just talking nonstop. You're not doing much observing in real time. Or are you? So in fact, I believe there's an enormous amount of observation going on in real time. And, mm. and it's not all just visual. It's, it's, there's a lot of non-visual observation that mm. I think goes on. So it's incredible. And <laughs> now that I've been doing a lot of personal development in my course, uh, I could actually trace it back to a point, uh, a crisis of competence in, in Ericsson's life stages. I honestly believe at a certain age, because I was an outsider, at a school designed, as Ken Robinson will tell you, for the wrong era, (laughs) I valued myself incorrectly uh, based on a system that was designed for the Industrial Revolution. And finding myself lacking, had a crisis of competence, Mm. which then fell into a crisis of... Of isolation uh, over intimacy which that's why I stand alone in a spotlight mm-hmm. as a matter of choice You've and just learned this because you are an MBA student at now. <laughs> yes. and if you looked at the studio you'd see the dean slapping himself around the head because he forgot to mention that <laughs> <laughs> No, that's fine. I, I, I made a deal with my partner that I wouldn't talk about doing an MBA with anyone unless they asked okay. um, So it's interesting and, and um, it all kind of makes sense now but I do right. believe that curiosity is a, is a key part of who I am
0: I remember you saying once in an audience that you can look at the audience, you can almost feel energy around different parts of the auditorium, like almost non-visual. Is
1: that how a- it works? Absolutely, you get a sense of where the kind of the warmth is, and and uh, you kind of foc- If it's a difficult audience, you're trying to find a pool of friendliness, and kind of focus on that, and try and grow that so that you can c- convince the other people to join that. And that must have been Thank fascinating you. with the the multi sort of. Uh, attack on various
0: various groups in the good races <laughs> yeah. that that group of warmth must have dotted around the audience quite quickly yeah,
1: it's kind of strange now there were kind of pools of conscience which i found <laughs> not quite as welcoming as uh, as uh, as people just laughing at a joke but kind of thinking about stuff
0: well here we are i'm the dean of a business school you're a famous social commentator and comedian and this program's about is is what's trending right so what's Trending in your world,
1: right? So right now, for me, and and primarily as a dad, actually, because I'm always concerned about where I'm releasing my daughter into. I'm very um, obsessed with uh, polarization at the moment. It's happening a lot around race. It's happening around the the land trope. And you know, on the one hand, you've got the sort of populist um, the rise of populism, which is backed all over the world. It's not just in South Africa. It's a very useful tool for incompetent leaders to kind of grab power. And it's being used in South Africa, particularly because we are still very raw around the idea mm. of, of black and white, just to be mm. very blunt. We are not finished with the race discussion. We, we haven't assimilated it. We haven't – not all of us. I mean, there are many people who are very progressive, and that's great. But, but it's still very much a, a thing. So, so I'm all about not trying to avoid conflict. I, I, I really think that's a mistake. I think we have to dive in, mm. and we have to kind of have robust disagreement and allow each other that space. Let people be angry, let people be wrong, let people be outraged, right, you right, know, yeah. feel injustice. But what we don't, we don't do that. We try and cover our own uh, culpabilities. So instead of discussing race in a real way, we argue that we aren't racists. It just right, becomes so. this stupid, mindless, knee-jerk reaction. Oh, are you playing the race card? Well, we knew that from the beginning. Why are you, it's, someone explained it to me as letting someone else's argument be a house of cards rather than a Jenga tower. So you can pick at pieces of someone else's argument intelligently, but that doesn't mean that their entire argument falls down. I've it, never
0: heard that before. Can I borrow that? That's absolutely. It's a really good idea. I got yeah. it from
1: a really clever lady, a comedian in Australia that yeah. I did a podcast with called, I want to say Alice Fraser. Uh, she's fantastic. I felt a bit of a kindred spiritship with her because she did a whole oh. show about uh, the Aboriginal people in Australia. So mm. very, She's a big academic. And the example she used was accusing someone who's against Hillary Clinton for being corrupt as being a misogynist. Right. You can't. You can't it no. doesn't compute. So you talk about
0: polarization, but you, you talk about it almost in two separate ways. One is this sort of stark, can I say, mindless polarization yep. of the Trump versus X. Right. And you know, the, the pulling of polarized people to fight one another. And another sort of polarization which allows conflict... But allows conflict in a constructive way. It's not this sort of mindless, bloody battle between people. It's this sort of conflictual fighting. I mean, reminds you of that expression: having strong opinions, likely held. (laughs) Well,
1: exa- <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Is that, yeah. Santa-
0: so is that what you're talking about? A- absolutely.
1: Yeah. So polarization is important because it provides orientation in an argument. Mm. We always talk about an argument as a thing which embarrasses you at a shopping center and we must be avoided <laughs> at all costs. But it's also a very elegant way to reason. An argument's a beautiful thing. Like I, I don't, and in fact, I structured my show as an argument. That was my, my mm. idea. And what I love about doing the, the MBA with the assignments is that it's the same thing. You're allowed to structure an argument. And given the space and the encouragement to do that, which we don't foster because we thought we're told that it's impolite.
0: I think it was Nixon who who talked about deniable plausibility,
1: wasn't it? (laughs) So you're trying to build a plausible
0: argument. It doesn't matter what the argument is, but can you assemble the points for and against and make it plausible and convincing either way, right? Yeah.
1: I'm encouraged because, uh, first of all, because you're the dean, and I love how you were able to actually articulate what I didn't articulate about the two No, you uh, gave me some things. crib notes before. I, I'm just reading <laughs> off them, yeah. Surely, yeah. He's really not. I'm <laughs> in the room. And, and um, so, so I think um, we should look at the young people who are educated and who are quite brilliant. There's a lot of great young intellectuals in South Africa who, who are being written off. Um, mm. If you just pick apart the roads must fall argument and, and have a look at it, there's a huge amount of validity and like, of course, rigor yeah. that's gone into that, that work. But now because someone broke a statue or ripped up a painting that's written off, you know, the House of Cards comes crashing down and, oh, well, if you're going to burn books, why is that a crime? But that's a really, really insightful point. So
0: I love that idea about the House of Cards, you know. So you, you've got a point of view and you're just waiting for the critical mistake, you know, the, the fatal mistake, which allows you to pluck one card out and dismiss the whole of that argument. Absolutely. So you don't have to engage with it. But yes. it's just too darn scary. <laughs> and, and goes to, I mean, your point about... We, we try and deny we're racist, but we are. As it were yeah. Right. I mean, well, it's un- unfortunately,
1: wow. it's undeniable. It's in the fabric <laughs> of this country, yeah. Yeah,
0: and maybe in the fabric of all people, you know. I mean, well, you, yep. you get educated very, very early or socialized into ways of being or activities without even knowing whether it's classism, sexism, racism, whatever it is. You yeah. can get that absorbed into you very, very young and not know it's there. Yeah. And so are you sort of suggesting that the epiphany comes when you realize, oh, my goodness, in spite of my good intentions, I've been programmed. You, and uh, how do I yeah, get out absolutely. of it? Absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. and
1: it doesn't have to be a judgment call, although it should mm. be, but um, historically. But even uh, beyond socialization, just from an anthropological point of view, mm. you you're you program to distrust strangers. Mm. Um, and, and through the way in which we've been raised... People have been kept strange from each other. Somebody said, we were talking in Australia and, and, and uh, what we said was people say, oh, this country's going to the dogs. Well, perhaps you, you shouldn't have made people into dogs in the first place. That, that's the actual <laughs> problem is equating people to dogs. There's the problem. There's just some intellectual work that needs to be done. Mm. You know, we'll argue that we're not privileged. We won't use the privilege. So, in other words, what can I do? Well, you can contribute the benefits of your education yeah. to making better discourse in this country instead of arguing with people. Or well, now I've just, I've just undone my own argument by calling an argument something which is negative, but arguing in a non constructive way. We can be polarized about that. So, have <laughs> both aspects of it. Yeah. Well, that's the other beauty. Such is yin and yang. <laughs> it's okay to be a hypocrite. Like, it's fine. It really is okay. Get over it. You're mm. not perfect. Yeah.
0: And that's another thing, isn't it, about this obsession we have of perfection and our image? Like, somehow, Mm. with all our shadows, we've got to present this wonderful, perfect image to people. And yet, how can you live like that? Because life is a continuing series of mistakes which you you blunder through sometimes (laughs) to to wonderful outcomes. And in the end, it all goes. You know, I mean, is that nihilist? (laughs) I hope not. Yeah.
1: Towards the end there, um, which I think is good for a nihilist. so, yeah, I, I agree with you. We burn so much energy on keeping up appearances. It's, right. it's, it's really pointless. And, and, in fact, I always thought that's what education was. It was a formal process, which I didn't belong in. And the truth is, when we met, that's when I realized that it was okay to be academic. And it was yeah, quite cool. I,
0: I should say this. I kept saying to people, when after I met John for the first time, and I was lecturing somewhere... <laughs> There were many MBAs, and I said that this is the smartest guy I've met all year. I mean, and it was the end of the year. I have to say that
1: <laughs> <laughs> wasn't Jan first, was it? No, it like was Jan time. first. So you're okay with that? Yeah.
0: <laughs> and but, I think it's really true, but it's, it's it's also true about what you do. You do the social commentary. You've got this wonderfully penetrating eye, and you've got this. Ability to stay on the edge, neither in the fold nor out of the fold, on the cusp of things, which somehow you play through your comedy. And and it makes a great social contribution, don't you think?
1: I'm glad it does. Uh, It it excites me. I I genuinely now think that I I, I learned to walk a tightrope as a sort of a... Mm coping making mechan- like it's just a place where I'm comfortable I don't even like crowds it's the weirdest thing I don't like crowds well, unless they're paying 165 a head but and the
0: next show is
1: but I don't seek out huge crowds of people I, right. I genuinely feel like I am an observer I, I'm not I mean I love their people I love our friends our family and you know like, I have all that but I'm quite a private person and, and I, I think that's quite important as a comic there's an element of sort of um, uh, detachment which, uh, I'm, I mean, I'm cool with. A great mentor
0: in my life was a guy called Tom
1: Saunders, the
0: retired RAF pilot, whose daughter happened to be Jennifer Saunders. Oh, and wow. And he would describe how all these comics would come around to his house, you know, all the <laughs> Mr. Bean, you know, all the guys in, in that time, and would sit in corners, muttering to themselves, really, and not really engaging in very much. <laughs> Deeply introverted characters who were <laughs> quite the opposite. I mean, I know you're both, but it was oh, interesting right. that that, yeah. that, in, that capacity to look inward turns into good comedy
1: as well, doesn't it? Sure, and, and I think it also allows you to understand other people. Mm-hmm. So looking inward actually gives you quite a good view on other people. And that's the other trick is, while great comedy is about listening, not talking, it's not about looking at the audience, it's about looking at yourself. And then generally what you find there is what you're going to find in the audience.
0: So while you're looking to that inner world, uh, which is a reflection of the outer, what are you, what's your next, what's trending that you're picking up from there?
1: I feel like very deeply researched very specific comedy is where I'd like to go. And I feel that's where the world's going to go. I think there's, there are too many generic people for where we're going. If I look at my parents and their lack of skill with technology, you almost just get sidelined. Mm. So I feel like deep specialization and then collaboration is going to become the way we live so too many generic
0: people means we there's a search for authenticity in a sense, which is absolutely. reflected in good political dialogue these days. I mean, what we've seen in the elections recently, right? You know, we're starting to see individualistic, very authentic people starting to break down the narrative of dialogue for good or evil, right? Yeah, absolutely. So you think that that's a trend?
1: I, I think this sort of certain. I'm not talking about hipsters. <laughs> hipsters <laughs> with their made-up branding. I, I mean. <clears throat> genuine search for uh, meaning yeah i I think it's quite important and authenticity will become celebrated um again i mean i'm sure it's happened previously and the cycles will continue but if you just watch an evening of television there's just Mm. so much rubbish uh, available to the world and i genuinely think people are going to get bored of it i mean democracy proved that if you ask for it you'll get it so america enjoy your dinner i mean (laughs) that's what you've been kind of asking for for a long time now you've got it Now you're like, no, we didn't want that. You did. You absolutely. You made Baywatch. You. That is your president. That's the guy you get. So I think we are moving into a time when authenticity and and genuine um, reflection will give us better interaction with each other.
0: We've got so much generic on TV and elsewhere. So maybe what we're finding is in podcasts and elsewhere, you're finding people choosing their own media Mm. and choosing their own arguments on what they want to find easier. So people want to get into some depth and. And as as human beings, they want to become more authentic to themselves. Yeah. So in this world that is connected so much, we can actually become more individual. Is there some paradox there? I, I oh, yeah. Absolutely, think yeah. that
1: there is something in that. That paradox, mm. I think, is real. Mm. If we just look at like how transgender people are not able to kind mm. of just be. Yeah, uh, you know, without having to live this ridiculous life, Ooh, gay friends or you know people who've lived a very closeted existence based on this definition that's ultimately meaningless. It, it, mm-hmm. it means nothing. Someone said the other day, being gay or straight is just like having a different screensaver. It, it's so <laughs> irrelevant. So if I look at my daughter and the way her friends move between each other and and kind of um, they connect and then they, you know, my, my daughter's constantly connected and yet isolated. Mm. So there is something in that, and. and mm there's an enormous um, um, space for huge customization of, of what it is you want yeah and, and, this space and the, the capacity that. now
0: to reach those people so I mean talking about sexuality I was with my 12, 13-year-old daughter coming on, 50, whatever it is right. and her friends. And they were listing, I think they got through 11 or 12 forms of sexuality that they're sort of describing these days. Wow, 12. That's amazing. I thought, well, if only I'd known this when I was younger. So absolutely I think you know, we, yeah. Look, I think we just yeah. didn't
1: give them names, John. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it's, okay. it's incredible. You know, blended yeah. families, the, exactly. the politics of moms and dads, all that mm. stuff's just falling away. And it's just accepted.
0: And that gives us enormous capacity emerging. So something about who we are is being able to be in the arena so much more. Yeah. We often talk of how much of me is welcome at work, and normally it's a very narrow slice of a person who's welcome at work—a little right. bit, probably from the legs downwards. <laughs> All the good stuff, the creativity and initiative, isn't there. Yeah. So you're saying that's so now that's kind of enter into the workplace and political dialogue. And everything is that what you said? Yeah, I mean no,
1: exactly. I think as we burn less energy on the mm. pointless uh, mm. like dilemmas, we are able to use that power on mm. you know what we really want to think about. So we will express ourselves more at work. Hopefully, we'll bring more of ourselves to work. I think that's a good thing, and leave it at home, and then pick it up for the weekend. that's Right. Um, um, I've just noticed a great increase in the quality of comedy audiences over the years. Like from what we originally were offering. And, Genuinely, we were just being led by the nose, by the audience, and doing everything they wanted. And if you look at the older comics, you'll see that, the broad stereotypes, the kind of, the gags that kind of go in a loop. You know, it's the same old mother-in-law, this, and, you know, it's the same old sort of archetypes. Now, if you watch young sort of millennial comics, they've broken lots of the old rules, and the audience love it.
0: You had had a wonderful, almost a a trope. I suppose, about the three different sorts of common comedians and how they use power, do you want to share that for a moment? Do you remember um, that?
1: yeah absolutely yeah. so, so the, um, the the first comic is the one that comes in from an angle of superiority to the to the audience, so they come in with a bit of power and status, particularly celebrity, they tell us about their privileged life and basically fail. I know comics are very good looking people who try and do comedy and they've got other successful careers and they wander on like George Clooney and tell everyone how being famous and beautiful is so difficult to just lose people. Mm. It's impossible. On the other end of the scale, you've got the comic who's no status in relation to the audience, just terrified and nervous and the crowd smells the fear and Quite horrific. They sort of gang up. It's almost like you. They can smell the blood, and they become a, a horde, a pack, and a Lord and of the Flies. I mean, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And then you find a comic who. Uh, and by the way, these are states. They're not. These mm. are not permanent things. Any comic can wander between the three. But on a good night, when you feel that it really, really just hits the sweet spot, you find yourself perfectly placed at the center of the crowd Mm. and and then you know that what the way i like to describe it is that it begins a movement because the crowd move themselves resonating it resonates and Mm. and and, um and it's incredible how that works but over time what i've realized is that that resonance is great but it also has a downside Uh, social media is resonance and Mm. bad tv is resonance it's a bad resonance so we get caught in this kind of wave of mediocrity that kind of dulls our senses from say 7.30 until bedtime. We become this like dulled, you know, layer of humanity and then we shut down. So dissonance is where I I honestly believe a combination of resonance and dissonance Mm. is the perfect combination.
0: How do you do that in your comedy when you're resonating in the middle? How do you get the dissonance? So you drop a bomb. You you dive dive out of the crowd. Pick on
1: someone who's handicapped or make a joke about leukemia or something horrifying. Pick on a member of the audience in a totally gratuitous, cruel way. It just sends a shockwave and and for some reason um, delights people. I suppose it's like... I don't know, uh, people are, are not that thrilled about bondage at home, but Fifty Shades of Grey sets off something that, you know, deep inside, I don't know, but I'm just amazing when Dr. Christian Grey suggested it's it's saucy, when I suggested <laughs> they call a cop, Um so, so I, I, as I get older, I, I, it's not all about resonance, resonance is very important, but but there's got to be some dissonance every now and then. Mm. That's so important.
0: So I love that idea of dissonance and resonance, resonance and dissonance. I mean, we often talk about strategy, and people talk about aligned strategy. Strategy's always got to be resonant and aligned, you know. But the trouble is, it's the same as benchmarking. You're trying to benchmark yourself to everybody else, else, and you're just defined by everybody around you. You're resonating, but in a poor system. Right. So what do creatives do? I think they go dissonant. They take you somewhere. They they take you somewhere else that doesn't fit the mold. And great strategists, and I think. Great business people, too, they, they take you to somewhere where you didn't realize there was a different truth or a different possibility. Right. And again, you could, new business models, you know, how do people come up with new business models? Not by following the crowd, but by being able to be dissonant, I think. So I think there's big lessons in there for the way we think about work and the way we think about business.
1: Well, I mean, they used to tell yeah. us to get out of the class because we were being disruptive. And now they say, this is the greatest way to conduct yourself in business. <laughs> <laughs> But I think it's yeah. true. I mean, I've just been reading about the danger of what you were saying, alignment and, and stuff. Mm. And it, it, it forces you to become so efficient in one way that should someone else create a new uh, competitive advantage, it's almost impossible to pull out of what you're doing because right. sort of the alignment is so strong. Yeah,
0: you've become and so aligned into something that's become now irrelevant that you can't yeah. create a new relevance. And so, <laughs> so somehow a new business needs to dance on this I've got this image of this ball bearing in a bowl. It's you know it, it's always goes back to the middle. But if you turn the bowl upside down, it would just right. diverge and be unstable. You've right. got to create a more unstable environment somehow. than yeah. in fast moving times, uh, yeah. we've
1: been we've been taught that chaos is a first of all is a reality which it isn't. There's, there is no chaos. That's yeah. rubbish. That's just boogeyman talking, uh, for people who didn't have the internet. And right. um, there is just a new order. Uh, you you know there's no complex I mean there is complexity but it's it's a profusion of simple things Mm. that become complexity and we forget to look at the the simplistic stuff you don't have to be reductionist but you just have to separate the simple things out complexity is just a profusion of order i mean that that's which we don't understand at that time that's why it seems so complex so the the
0: the the thing we do i mean you remember times that things have been incredibly complex or a relationship you had and somebody broke up with you and you (laughs) were so beaten up you told people about it and after a while you start to make patterns and make sense of it so complexity becomes simple through learning. Absolutely. So, so learning is the killer app of all this stuff. <laughs> so learn well and you'll deal with
1: complexity. Yeah. Uh, exactly, yeah. which is how the MBA, I'm starting to understand, works. They throw a whole lot of stuff at you <laughs> and you have to just apply some systems. And as soon yeah. as you do that… Everything seems to find a place.
0: And you run businesses as well. The other thing, apart from being a comedian, social commentator, diver, medical chef, artist, (laughs) (laughs) you're also an impresario
1: and entrepreneur. There are some businesses. Uh, Since I've been here, I've realized that I'm probably running them spectacularly badly. (laughs) But that's okay, because now we have systems. Uh, Genuinely, though, uh, without any business training, we started these things and we as a team of people, but we definitely haven't done it the most efficient way. Mm. And um, we could have, and we are going to be making some changes. Well, the famous
0: complexity theorist Ralph Stacey says that that efficiency is the enemy of creativity because you have to have slack resources oh, right. to create. you know so you have to have slack resources resources to innovate and make mistakes so you can inno- oh, be creative yeah.
1: absolutely so that, that's a great point I think to this point we've had lots of fun and done lots of cool mm. stuff I'm very glad we have I also talk about breaking things I think it's so important mm. to break stuff perhaps to that point is we mustn't be taught that everything is sacred intact I, you know it must remain intact no let the child break the toy because perhaps something inside the toy will teach the child about thermodynamics we we don't know i remember you telling me a story way back when i just had children
0: about kids who broke plates what was that it was very so, useful so, to so me. eddie isar the comedian yeah, yeah. explained
1: this thing of children are um when they're breaking things they, they don't see it as destruction they're rearranging the stuff so they're finding a new way to put the stuff together and it may not suit them and and you know it may upset dad because he worked hard and that was object represents his hard work and resentment and um, and when it's smashed it seems like it's disrespectful but for the child it's it's an it's an exercise in rearranging stuff and and very proud and excited hey look dad look, Absolutely. What, I look what i did exactly <laughs> my golf clubs yeah yeah this is like a remote it makes dad's vein on his head stand up when i do this smash you know. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's very important that we we, we teach cho- – like these um, Rosemars four people, the moment they burned an artwork, mm. they were written off as like, oh, all well, these people are being destructive and the vandals. cars again, yeah. They just burned a painting. It's mm. okay. We've got images of the painting. We can – you know, it's, it's, it's okay. We, mm. you know. What
0: else is hitting your lively intellect in terms of what's <laughs> trending at the moment, John?
1: I think um, – Social media um is, is, is like revered as a as a, this this all important thing and mm-hmm. now even executives are saying, What about the Twitter? Um um Which is the Twitter. Yeah. My daughter <laughs> informs me Twitter's already on its way out. She's the, yeah. it's way behind and I've just got into Instagram and she told me that's already uh, you know, a bit boring. Um, we must just be very careful because you know, because it's popular, that's not always the case. And and also um hundred and forty characters is, is it's fine. We can run apparently revolutions on it, but no one's asked what's happened to the Arab spring yeah. since we all said, hashtag yay. Uh, um, mm. You know, Viva the revolution. It's the worse off. The, yeah. the truth is. So it's just another tool. It's not, it's not a, I think the word is panacea, which is a very big word for, I think it was salad dressing, um, um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, there's no shining nights in this. Yeah. These are all just tools and they can be used for good things and bad things. So I'm interested to see how social media, uh, where, you know, what we do with it. So
0: how it evolves. We're all the huge rush that this is going to save the world and fantastic. We all had to become digital in different ways. Yeah. But now we're learning to use it as tools. Yeah. yeah. And For the, something. For what? Because the other. Exactly. We're all we're, chasing purpose these days, I feel. You know, what, um, Yeah. Uh, exactly it so. becomes critically important to us
1: you know what are we doing with the tools we build that's a very good mm. point are we doing good things or bad things
0: mm. which goes back to the MBA as well because a lot of people do MBAs or higher learning they, they're suddenly confronted with these models or theories as if they, were, they held truth or as if they were sort of God incarnate in some ways but the point is that a model or a framework is just a framework, just a way of seeing things yeah. and you use it better or worse, depending on how you feel on that day or what skills you've got. Well, it, so
1: They don't hold truth. They just, it, yeah. Probably one of my best things that's happened so far was when it was explained that a model is, is pointless. It's just a blank template until you fill it with your stuff. And suddenly you go, oh, well, this is amazing. There's answers here.
0: <laughs> and so people say, porters, five Forces say, as if it were true. But you get six people using it, and they get six different answers. Six right? different answers. Yeah, so that, that must have a, been quite, a, quite an impression.
1: It was a mind-bending. Uh, yeah. The idea that if you just cut and paste that model into your paper, it's, 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 there's, not, there's nothing to mark. because no, You haven't done anything. <laughs> so, so, exactly. And, and you think you have to remember the model. What you have to do is use the model. And it just starts spitting out things that are totally relevant to you and your businesses. And as someone with no uh, business training whatsoever, these are like vital, enormous truths. And at like four in the morning when I'm reading my notes, because that's Mm. my time, you get these incredibly reassuring moments. Oh, look, there's actually a book about this. So in a world that's
0: apparently trying to homogenize and generalize, make generic and make things the same what's been taught here is a capacity to think critically think for yourself and develop your own ideas and so that's the sort of sense of developing you know like your own business which is your mold not according to somebody else's in the context of the time
1: absolutely and so to apply all of this to the business in the privacy of our own mad vision hmm. is fantastic hmm. because we are building a little kingdom of creativity that no one else has built because we're doing it for the first time i love that idea of, in, in our own
0: mad vision yeah <laughs> how true is that really it's pretty how true, true.
1: i spoke to the accountant yeah. it's pretty mad
0: but <laughs> <laughs> well, i'm always struck by this paradox of these really eccentric difference individualistic Inventors or creators of things, and then the systems that created afterwards, which are so homogenized and buttoned up and suited up to run them, and yeah. how difficult it is, as you said earlier, to transform something that 's got big and procedural into something new and interesting, yeah and which makes a lot of room for garage entrepreneurs to disrupt industries as well, so so yeah. much talk about disruption
1: and they can take them down this is what 's mm. so incredible is i 've been working with a large bank for a while. Mm. Capitech has come along and just quietly done everything, which I've just read about in this amazing paper that I found <laughs> online. Which is just focus on a group of people that weren't focused on. They didn't make a big noise. They just delivered their thing. They made sure that the operations were excellent mm. ac- according to what that customer needed, and they've done it. Like it's a real thing. It's not a textbook. That that's really happening. And so these young people in garages can take down massive. You know, monolithic, vertically integrated beasts. That's a lot of very good MBA speak.
0: <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> and
1: getting, it means you're something a too. Mark for this, yeah. yeah, no, you get several marks.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I wish I could help with that one. Though. <laughs> yeah, it's all marked offshore. Well, that's the other thing yeah. is I
1: I loved. I, I, we were just mentioning earlier. I love the feedback you mm. get from this because on a Sunday afternoon, you just get an email from the UK or somewhere in the world, and this very clever person's taken the time to actually tell you exactly blow by blow what's what's so, up with there's us. something that's
0: so important about quality of feedback isn't it the sort of and being able to give authentic feedback as well to people that's really useful because you clearly don't want fluff what you want is <laughs> you, what you want is straight talk am i right yeah so, if yeah. i just got a thing yeah. going
1: you got to be i would have to fly there and i don't want a bee i want to no. know <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay, John. Well, we've come to the end of this fascinating talk. Thank you very much. Before we wrap up, is there anything Thanks else much. you just want to
1: mention at all, or any other? Um, or? I would say, if anything, that if you haven't studied, you should. Uh, I can't emphasise enough, and, and there's no reason for me saying that other than I never studied. I got a brochure in drama early on from a technicon, but um, to spend time with clever people thinking about complicated things is such a privilege, and I'm I'm really chuffed to be doing it now. And I, in fact, probably better than I'm doing it later in life. Uh, mm. a, a couple of years of maturity and running a business, and, and now I actually I, I think I'm appreciating it more. But I also found the same thing. I am mean, coming to learning later was just
0: outstanding. You just mm. come with a different motivation. And you're very flattering about the people you're doing the MBA with, but the, the truth is, that you are by any standards um, a polymath and and very bright (laughs) and I'm not trying to flatter you but it's true you can see by what the work you've done and and everything else so you've come to formalise learning but in a different way without the sort of preconceptions you would have had maybe at 20 about what it is you've come with your own mind your own way of thinking and you're making most of it It sounds
1: it's been a very it's very good it's rewarding to know that i have tattoos on both sides of my neck and i go to (laughs) a business school
0: (laughs) (laughs) okay john flissman thank you very much for a fascinating conversation thank you john thank thank you. you and this is john foster pedley from henley business radio signing off please follow us on hashtag what's trending or hashtag hbr For more Henley Business Radio podcasts, go to our website,
1: www.henleysa.ac.za.